Hi, my name is Matt Randalls, and I'm happy to bring a message from the Gospel of John to you today. Now, there's a bit of storytelling sleight of hand that I find fascinating. A story that opens with a line that means one thing, and then ends with the same line, but now it means something completely different. It's quite clever if you can pull it off. I first came across this trick in a short story called Mirror Mirror about a woman who, surprise, surprise, loves to gaze at herself in the mirror. At first, it's because she's obsessed with her own beauty, and the most important thing in the world to her is how she looks. But all the while she looks in her mirror, she keeps searching for any hint of imperfection in her perfect face. By the end of this story, however, she survived a car accident that has left her face hideously scarred. Even so, she keeps gazing into her mirror because every once in a while, her tortured mind sees not the marred face of her disappointment, but rather the perfect beauty of her face as it once was. The opening and closing line? She was one of those women who sit endlessly for mirrors. It means one thing at the beginning, something quite different at the end. Today, we're going to talk about beginnings and endings, and in particular, the ending of the Gospel of John and how the last words of Jesus echo his first words, the same words, but now with quite a different ring to them. Let's take a look. The setting is a beach on the Sea of Galilee. The time after the resurrection, after Jesus had appeared to the dejected disciples in the upper room and showed that he was alive. Peter and a handful of others have gone fishing, working throughout the night, but without success. Dawn breaks and they see Jesus back on the shore, but they don't realize it's him. He calls out saying, cast your nets on the other side. They do. And what do you know? They catch a boatload of fish. So many, they can't even get them all in the boat. Just then, one of them realizes it's Jesus on the shore. Peter immediately jumps in and swims back, leaving the others to deal with all the fish. Soon enough, they get the boat to the shore. Jesus has breakfast prepared, and he invites them to eat. And that's where we'll pick up the story now. John chapter 21, starting with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, you may well know the story. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says yes. Often we end the story right there. But I want us to look at what Jesus says next. After that third time, Jesus goes on and says to Peter, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. 
This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? The story of Peter's reinstatement by the risen Jesus is one of the most beloved stories in the New Testament. It's right up there with the parable of the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, Jesus walking on water. Three times after Jesus was arrested, Peter denied even knowing him. And three times after the resurrection, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. He was given another chance. He was forgiven, restored, reinstated. More than that, he was commissioned. Each time when Peter reaffirmed that, yes, he loved his Lord, Jesus then commanded him to feed my sheep. In every sermon I've ever heard on this passage, it's always pointed out that in the Greek text, Jesus and Peter use different words for love, words that have different shades of meaning. And often, it seems like that fact is what gets all the attention. Today, however, I'd like to focus on something else, what Jesus says to Peter afterward. It's just as important, and all too often it gets glossed over. In fact, I'll just say it. I think Jesus' final words to Peter, the ones that hardly ever get any notice, they're the most important of all. We have a saying, famous last words, and often we use it ironically, but only because we know that last words matter. The last word is what you want to drive home, what you want people to remember. The last word is the exclamation point, the final punch, the mic drop. Whoever gets the last word in an argument usually wins. Last words matter. Did you notice what Jesus' last words to Peter were? Well, guess what? They're the same as his first words. Follow me. And today, I'd like to make the case that this is Jesus' fundamental word to all of us. More than anything else, Jesus says to each one of us, follow me. What's more, following Jesus means keeping our eyes on him, which means not worrying about the other guy, not worrying about what God has in store for someone else, what God is calling someone else to be or to do. Jesus says, follow me. Don't worry about him or her or whoever. Follow me. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he first comes on the scene. What's the first thing he does? How does he kick off his ministry? He says, follow me. And guess what? It's exciting. Wherever Jesus goes, people follow. Everyone's excited. Everyone's wondering what he'll do next. Whenever he speaks, people stop and listen. And the things he says, it's like nothing anyone else has heard before. Certainly nothing like the dour teachings of the Pharisees, those religious hotshots who make everyone feel bad. And he's not just talk. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He makes the blind see. Jesus says, follow me, and there isn't anything better. 
Peter and the other disciples, they're in on the ground floor. They got front row seats. Jesus is showing up the religious establishment, performing miracles, and he's teaching them ordinary, uneducated, working class guys. He's teaching them the secrets of the kingdom of God. It's unbelievable. It seems too good to be true. Following Jesus can be like that for us as well, especially if you come to faith later in life, especially if your story has a before and after quality. I was raised in a Christian family. I don't remember ever not going to church. And so in a kind of perverse way, I envied my middle school camp counselor who'd been radically saved from a life of drug addiction. He lived in the darkest darkness. And so when he stepped into the light, how bright was that light? How sweet was the sound of the amazing grace that he had found? Well, I grew up a little bit, and I realized that being rescued from horrible addiction is nothing to envy. But I also realized something more. Even without such a dramatic story, someone like me could, could experience the same sweetness. I hadn't missed out. Even though I'd gone to church my whole life and had gone to youth group and Christian camp and all the rest, even so, there still came a day when my faith became my own, not just something my parents had handed down to me, not just the culture I had been born into, not just a set of beliefs taught in confirmation class. No, it was something more. And I'll admit, words fail me. They can't really do justice to my experience. But somehow, in that season, something radically changed. It wasn't so much that what I believed about Jesus changed, but somehow it became personal, real. It crystallized. It was even all-consuming. You know, it's entirely possible to believe something to be true, and yet it has no effect on your life. But what happens when that thing becomes the cornerstone, the foundation, the bedrock, the fundamental truth of all? Well, then everything changes. I don't think it's a stretch to say that I got a taste of what Peter and John and the rest of the disciples tasted. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of who Jesus was, and all the things he said, and all the things he did, his death and resurrection, it all became profoundly true for me. It was more than just a bunch of facts among millions and billions of facts. Jesus became the fundamental fact, the cornerstone, the foundation. Peter and John left their nets when Jesus called them. Matthew left his tax booth. I was in college when all of this happened to me, and I didn't drop out. But it did radically alter the course of my life unto this day. Follow me is Jesus' fundamental word to us. It's his consistent, repeated message. But it's easy to forget this. It's easy to overlook. We take it for granted, or, and maybe this is the real issue, it just gets lost in the shuffle. We get so focused on all the other things Jesus said, the hard things, the controversial things, the things that are easy to disagree with and argue about, 
we lose sight of the fundamental call of follow me that runs like a thread through everything that Jesus said. Like the time he said, take up your cross and follow me. Wow, take up your cross. What's he really mean? People talk about the tough things or the tough situations or even difficult people like that annoying coworker. People talk about him as a cross to bear. Is that legit? A lot of ink has been spilled on what Jesus meant. So much so that it's easy to forget that right there, he also said once again, follow me, take up your cross and follow me. It's important to come to grips with what take up your cross means, but we cannot forget that it's inextricably tied to his call to follow me. Another time, a disciple says to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. It's the same thing again. We hear those strange words and we easily get caught up in trying to sort out what Jesus meant about the dead burying their own dead, that we lose sight of the fact that once again, he's saying, follow me. There's a famous story about an anonymous guy who shows up in a couple of the gospels. In one version, it said he's a ruler of some kind, and in another account that he's young, but in both, it's clear that he's rich. And so we call him the rich young ruler. Maybe you remember it. He comes to Jesus with a simple question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus reminds him of the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder or steal or lie, and so on. The man says he's kept them all since he was a boy. He's been there done that. Now, it's not perfectly clear what his motive is in asking. Is he, is he buttering up Jesus? Is he trying to make himself look good? Or does he genuinely long for an answer? Does he recognize that deep down inside something's missing, that it's not enough just to follow the rules? Well, in any event, Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Pretty intense, right? I'll tell you this. In every discussion I've ever had about this story, every sermon I've ever heard, the focus falls right there on that big demand that Jesus places on him. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Does Jesus really mean it? Literally? Is it absolute? Sell everything? More to the point, does it apply to everyone, to us today, to me? Does Jesus ask that of each one of us? And as we get lost in those questions, we tend to forget something. That's not the end of the story. That's not all Jesus says. He actually says four more words to the rich young ruler. But we've heard them so many times that we don't even notice. We gloss over them and they slip right by. But I would argue that they're the whole point. They're essential to understand what Jesus is saying to him and to us. Yes, Jesus says, sell your possessions. But then he immediately adds, then come, follow me. Jesus knew that man's heart. He knew what his first love really was. He knew what was holding him back from being a disciple. He didn't have a problem with keeping the law he had a problem with money. Jesus is looking for followers.
yours. And if something is going to come between you and following him, Jesus won't hesitate to shine a light on it. For the rich young ruler, it was money. Money. That's probably true for a lot of us. But maybe it's something else. And maybe it's a bunch of things. In this world, there is no shortage of idols. No shortage of things that demand our attention. No shortage of things that are less than God, but that we give our lives to. And that's why Jesus keeps saying, follow me. Because we're so easily distracted, so easily enamored by things we think will make us happy, but won't. And so worried about what everyone else thinks. And that's exactly what we see happen with Peter. Jesus restores him, commissions him to feed my sheep, that is, take care of his people. And then he says to him once more, follow me. And what does Peter say? He turns around, sees John, and says, what about him? And so now we have come to the part where we realize that even though Jesus has been saying the same thing all along, even though his first word and his last word are the same, something has changed. Something's different. When Jesus found Peter and the other fishermen by the sea and said, follow me, they dropped everything and did just that. But now Jesus has this tender moment with Peter. He says, once again, follow me. But this time Peter turns around, looks at John and says, what about him? Why? What's going on? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. In the beginning, everything was wonderful. It was exciting. But now, Jesus has literally been to hell and back. And Peter himself has gone through the crucible of testing and failed. Spectacularly. Yes, Jesus has forgiven him. He's been restored. He's been commissioned. But even so, He's not that same brash, confident guy he was before. And one thing more, Jesus has just foretold, in somewhat cryptic terms, yes, but he's just foretold how Peter is going to die. And so when Peter says, what about him? He's asking, will he suffer too? Will he die a horrible death? Or is he going to get off easy? Maybe Peter still has his doubts. Maybe deep down, he doesn't think Jesus has really accepted him. Maybe he sees this prophecy about how he's going to die as some kind of punishment for his failure. Maybe that's why he says, what about him? Well, Jesus fires back with the most extreme possibility. He essentially says, okay, Peter, you're going to die. And it's not going to be pleasant. What if John never dies? What is that to you? And this is what I want to leave you with. Following Jesus means not worrying about the other guy. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, hey, eyes on me. Let's say God calls you to be a missionary to some far off place where you can't even charge your phone. It happens. What if Jesus were to say to you, you're going to go to the ends of the earth for me. You're going to leave everything behind. Give up all the comforts of the modern world. That's what I'm calling you to. It sounds kind of extreme, but then, hey, Peter was crucified upside down. So maybe giving up the modern world isn't so bad. Imagine if Jesus said that to you. 
And then you pointed to your friend and said, well, what about him? What about her? And Jesus said, what if I want her to be a billionaire? What if I want him to be the next Bill Gates? What is that to you? Well, that's right. It's none of your business. Keep your eyes on Christ. When I think about this passage and Peter looking back at John, I think about our modern world of social media. It's easier than ever for us to look at everyone around us, what they're doing and saying and posting, what and who they're for and against, especially this week, what they're wearing, where they're traveling, the memes they share, the tweets they tweet. It's easier than ever to take our eyes off of Jesus and fixate on everyone else. There are a lot of great things about social media, and there's plenty that toxic. that's toxic. And there's a whole raft of stuff in between that's just plain distracting. But you didn't need a sermon to tell you that. You know it. I know it. And in the midst of it all, we all need to hear Jesus' voice saying, follow me. Don't worry about everyone else. Don't get caught up in all the drama. Instead, as it says in the book of Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Follow him. This is the first word of Jesus, and it's the last. It's his word to us at the beginning of the journey when everything seems wonderful and life is full of hope. It's his word to us in the middle when the things of this world clamor for our attention, money, pleasure, power, whatever, and it's his word to us, even to the very end.